Hey there, we're live. Hi, welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. We'd like to welcome you if you're watching on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, uh, the little app in the corner of our site, wherever you're watching us. Hi, welcome. Thank you for coming and joining us. We're on, as you know, every weekday at one o'clock Eastern, talking about football. Uh, if you're watching us, make sure you ask comments in the chat. And if you're on YouTube or Twitch, please like and subscribe to the show. Uh, same goes if you're listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please like and subscribe to the show. Give us a review. We would love to have you do that. We want to let everybody know about the show. And we are here today to talk about uh, week eight in the NFL. But first of all, I've got some big news. FO Plus is now on sale for just $1 a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer. It gets you all of our advanced stats and analysis, fantasy research, and betting information. Do not miss out on a limited time offer, just a dollar a week. You can access it at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or through the link in the description of this show. Make sure you get yourself an FO Plus membership, folks, because it not only supports the site, it gets you just a crazy amount of really good information that will help you win both betting and in fantasy. As always, on Mondays, my guest is Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports, and we've got to talk first about the big news of the day. Not all of the injuries, we'll get to those in time, but the big trade of Vaughn Miller going from the Denver Broncos to the Los Angeles Rams for second and third round picks next year. Ian, what do you think? Vaughn Miller to the Rams. Uh, like we were talking about before, I mean, that just adds to a, a defense that's already what last year I think was number one or top two DVOA this year. They're up to number four now. Um, just another playmaker on their team. You know, it's like at first I got the notification that he was likely to play or coming back this week. And then about 10 minutes later, he's getting traded to the Rams. So, but like we mentioned, it's still going to be tough. I mean, makes sense for the Rams to add as much as they can in that stacked NFC. You know, they're seven and one and still third um, in the conference behind uh, Arizona on tiebreaker and behind Green Bay as well. So, I mean, they, they've looked good the last few weeks. So adding him, you know, is not going to hurt them at all. Yeah, I think this would look better if they were an AFC team because somebody needs to emerge from that pack of teams in the AFC. But, um, Definitely, they've got a lot of competition, but they have they really believe in a stars and scrubs strategy on defense. And to have Donald, Ramsey, and Miller all at the same time is kind of crazy. And they also they have, you know, it's not always about recognizing inefficiencies in the market. Sometimes value just comes from if you value things differently from other teams, you can get more stuff that you want because other teams have different valuations. And clearly the Rams value rookies less than other teams. So they are willing to trade their draft picks away. They traded away their first, second and third round picks for next year. They want veterans. They want stars. They want studs. Von Miller is a stud. I think this is great for the Rams and it clearly goes with what they want to do. And I'm a little surprised the Broncos, cause they're still in it. They're four and four. They're definitely in the wild card race, but uh, this seems to be a little bit of white flag waving by the Broncos that they do not think they're going anywhere this year. I mean, even if they win a wild card, they're not really going anywhere this year. Yeah. I mean, so. they're only two games out of their, their division lead. You've got what the Broncos or the Raiders. Game and a half. Two, or game yeah. and a half, yeah. 
ahead of the Chiefs. I mean, everyone's ahead of the Chiefs in that division right now, which is uh, obviously surprising. But, yeah, they're middle of the pack there and, you know, not not far out of that division. So it is a little surprising there. All right, let's talk about our biggest storylines of Week 8, the games that were played, not the players that were traded. Let's start with last night's Sunday night football game, which was a little bit of a uh, – it was a little agonizing to get through, to be honest. The Cooper Rush game, wild finish, the Cowboys with backup quarterback Cooper Rush uh, – coming back downfield to take the lead, incredible circus catch by Amari Cooper. And then what we call one of our most impactful plays of the week. What, uh, what was one of our most impactful plays of the most impactful play of this game? Yeah, this game, it came just a few plays after that circus catch by Amari that went, you know, off the chest of the defense, the cornerback and off his hand should have been an interception. It looked like he just kind of, the ball kind of caught him off guard, but a few plays later, uh, Cowboys face third and 11 at the Minnesota 20, looking like they're just going to get a field goal to tie it probably. Rush kind of dumps it off to Ezekiel Elliott, who breaks a couple tackles, muscles forward, and falls down to the four-yard line, four or five-yard line for a first down with just over a minute, right around a minute left in the game. This was a win probability increase of 31.1%. This was our fifth most impactful play of the week. It took the Cowboys – from 38.5% before that play up to 69.5%. So from winning the game a little over a third of the time to 70% of the time after that play set up with first and goal at the five-yard line with a minute left, uh, pretty much, you know, almost guaranteed uh, at least a, a high probability field goal to tie it since it's overtime. And, and then they ended up, as we know, Cooper back in the game uh, after being on the sideline. It looked like a hamstring injury, came in with that, that great catch over – Cam Dantzler in the, the corner of the end zone. Um, you know, the Vikings had one last possession, just weren't able to score. But like you said, kind of tough to get through kind of a boring game. Two good defenses, though. This is one that we thought was going to go under, stay under anyway. We figured there would be a little bit more scoring. But I believe there were two top ten defenses. that you know, aside from – I think if Dak Prescott's in there, it's a little bit of a different story. But, but a really, you know, just low-scoring game, kind of slow game. Really wasn't a whole lot going on there until the end. Uh I will say Todd Singer says, as a Colts fan, I am dreading this segment today. It may not be quite as bad as you feel, Todd, no. but uh, you, you'll be surprised about some of the things we may say about the Colts later. But first of all, with the Vikings, it, this game was a slog. The Vikings play an incredibly conservative brand of football. As a lot of people noticed on Twitter, it's like the Cowboys let Cooper Rush do more downfield than the Vikings let Kirk Cousins do, which is nuts. Um, but the Vikings are not a terrible team. There, there was this takeaway from the game that, oh, the Vikings must be an awful team. The Vikings are 11th in DVOA yeah. now. Okay. The fact is this game is not adjusted for playing a backup quarterback. So the adjustments are a little off because it's based on them playing Dallas and Dallas has been good so far. So, okay, maybe the Vikings are not really 11th. Maybe they're more like 12th or 13th. And that's still better than people tend to think that they are. They are the most consistent team in the league. They're basically average every week. Mm -hmm. um, they just – Goes down to the wire every week. <laughs> they're very conservative. Every game goes down to the wire. They've just lost a couple of them. They've lost, I think, three different games where they actually had positive DVOA but lost the game anyway. So I don't think the Vikings are terrible, but I do wonder if this is a psychological killer. 
right? Like DVOA yeah. says going forward, they're an above average team. But you wonder whether between this and the Daniil Hunter injury and whether they just, they kind of fold up shop and uh, and give up on the season. Because that, to lose to Cooper Rush on a fourth quarter comeback drive has to be de- incredibly demoralizing. Yeah, and they're, you know, pretty much going for a wild card, you know, barring a collapse from the Packers, you know, six straight, 10 to seven and one atop the division. There's, you know, this puts, I think you said four and four for the Vikings now, um, you know, or three and four, sorry, they're, they've had their bye. So they're a handful of games out, like you said, losing to a backup quarterback. Um, nothing against Cooper Rush personally, but still that's a game that they, they definitely, I think should have won. Um, and just like you said, just kind of demoralizing to a, to a team like that. Uh, it, it seems, you know, Kirk Cousins in the, one of those primetime games again, you know, kind of hear, hear that a lot, that he just struggles to win the big games. And this is kind of another situation. You know, I didn't follow close attention to how he looked per se, but, but you know, it, it, it was against a good defense. But, I mean, I guess I agree with everything you said there. Kind of how do you bounce back from that? Speaking of the Packers, let's go back and talk a little bit about Thursday night. Now, this is an interesting game, the Arizona versus Green Bay game. We have a stat that I introduced this year called post-game win expectancy. And what that looks at is, based on the DVOA splits in this game without opponent adjustments, which team would we expect to win the game? And 75% of the time, you would expect Arizona to have won this game. They actually outgained the Packers 6.1 yards per play to 4.7 yards per play. Both teams fumbled twice, but Arizona lost one. Green Bay lost none. And, of course, Arizona had two interceptions. But this game, Arizona kind of outplayed the Packers and then blew it on the last play of the game. Yeah, another wild finish in this one. I mean, just a great good start to the, the week and then ending the week Sunday night. Um, good game, but this one, Kingsbury and LaFleur both had a couple good calls in this one. They had two of our top five best decisions this week. The third best, number three, was uh, for Kingsbury, fourth quarter, early on, 13-17 left. They faced fourth and one at the Green Bay 40. Chooses to go for it, down 10 points, added 6.6% in pre-snap win probability. This is really no surprise there. With that offense against a Green Bay defense, that just hasn't really been very good. Um one yard from Kyler Murray, you know, even without DeAndre Hopkins, I think he was out of the game, you know, fairly early on, um, was ruled out or at least questionable and never came back in, I don't think. But that that offense still to, to be able to make a play there, that's no surprise to see Kingsbury go for it. Uh, ended up being a completion to new addition Zach Ertz in his second game, I think, got nine yards. Um, and then moving on, the, the first, the number one decision of the week belongs to Matt LaFleur on the other side who was also our coach of the year last year here at Edge Sports. Um, those will be coming out here in a couple weeks as well, our initial rankings for this season. But late in the fourth quarter, probably remember it, fourth and goal at the Arizona one. This was set up by the, the play by Rodgers to third and goal, kind of nothing was really available, scrambled and just dove, dove forward, put his body on the line there to try and get in the end zone. But to the one-yard line, the floor chose to go for it instead of like we say, making a one-score game, a one-score game with a, a short field goal. This was yes. a 20.1% increase in pre-snap win probability. Not he only, resisted the trap to go up six. Yeah. yeah, not only the best decision of the week, the best decision of the entire season so far on fourth down. And it's a, a situation we've covered it here before and talked about it. If you don't get it, Arizona's backed up at their own one-yard line, which is what happened. They didn't convert. They're at their own one-yard line. 
they're down three. If you kick the field goal there and go up six, not only are they going to have better field position, it becomes a kind of a behavioral thing where you basically force them to be more aggressive. And that's one of the last teams I would, I would think I would want to be aggressive, more aggressive against me than they're already going to be um, in Arizona. So this was a great decision. The, the result wasn't great. Um, set up the potential game-winning drive for the Cardinals, but that leads us into back to our impactful plays. The most impactful play of the week is the interception on second and goal at the five by Kyler Murray, where it looked like A.J. Green thought it was a running play, even though they had no timeouts left. Um, Razul Douglas, who was uh, who just signed off the Cardinals practice squad a couple weeks ago, kind of sees it coming, throws his hand out, tips it up, and catches it. Uh, and ends the game there. That was not only the, t- the most impactful play of this week, it was the fourth most impactful play of the entire season behind Justin Tucker's 66-yarder, Greg Joseph, speaking of the Vikings, his missed field goal against the Arizona Cardinals, and the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumble against the Ravens, driving down for, the, for a game-winning field goal attempt was number three. So this is the, also the fourth most impactful play of the entire season so far. Yeah, people are going to be shocked when DVOA officially comes out tomorrow because Green Bay has dropped to 14th. Um, They really have not had any games where they've been outstanding. And then they have one game where they were horrible way back in week one. But they're just – every week Green Bay is kind of good. But they're never really great. And so they end up lower in the rating. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of guff for it. But, yeah. I mean, that's – it's kind of a good thing to hear, though, for me, being a, a Packers fan. You know, they're 7-1, and one and they really haven't played, it seems like, their best football. So we know that last year they finished number – was it number one in offense or they were top top two or three? They were number one in offense last year. They're fifth right now. Yeah. So the offense, I think, still has a ways to go. The defense has they've – they've had a lot of injuries, too, which has been tough. Actually, they were without their top three receivers this past well, week. Tunyon, yeah, Tunyon's now out with torn ACL. Um, so he's gone on the defense, you know. They got Whitney Merciless, who's made some plays there, and they've got some guys. Hopefully, they can get back. Brent Jair Alexander being out, you know, the defense just needs to get a little bit better there. Same with uh, uh, some other teams that, that we'll cover here coming up in a little bit too. Todd Singer says it it hurts me to say this as a Purdue fan, but the punt muff by Rondale Moore really hurt Arizona. Yes, that is true, and a punt muff is almost always recovered by the receiving team. So in DVOA, it's not a very large penalty because it's very rare that the punt muff gets recovered by the other team. Now, obviously, this was a little bit different than a normal punt muff because it just glanced off his hand. But that that's a seriously lucky play that does not tell us anything about how good Arizona and Green Bay are going forward. It tells us nothing. Yep. And Todd would, would, be, would like to hear, too, be a Purdue fan, but Rondell Moore also – Played his high school football here in Louisville, where Edge Sports is based. Went to uh, Trinity High School, who's who's my big rival, but still good to see. Cool to see a local guy make it. But yeah, just a tough break. You said just barely glanced off his finger in the, the very slightest. But before we get to the next highlighted game, I want to remind you all again: FO Plus is now just one dollar a week for annual subscriptions. Get all of our advanced stats, all of our fantasy tools, picks against the spread. You can access this offer through the show description or at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Okay, uh, Todd Singer did not want us talking about the Titans and the Colts. We're going to talk about the Titans and the Colts. Another close game that needed overtimes to settle things. It had all kinds of impactful plays, good and bad decisions by coaches. Hit us up with Mike Vrabel, my friend. 
Yeah, so Mike Vrabel had the second best fourth down go of the week. This was late in the fourth quarter, 322 left. Fourth and one at midfield. They're tied at 24. Chooses to go for it, which is a great call. Um, Tyler, you know, you don't want to punt that ball away, especially with that defense they've got. I think it's gotten a little bit better the last couple of weeks, uh, but near the, the low 20s from the, the low, from the um, close to 30, I think yes, they were. The Titans but, defense is 19th right now. 19th. So they were like 30th or 28th just a couple weeks ago, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so they've got better, but still, you you don't you want to go for it. It's one yard. You've got Derrick Henry. We mentioned before, you know, the Colts are number one in rush defense, but they were, I think, I, when I looked at this morning, 22nd against the pass. So you don't have to run it on fourth and short. We talked about they did. Yeah, and little Henry. did we know at the time that Henry was hurt. Yeah, and may yeah, now be out, be out for the season. Yeah, could be back. I think I saw for the playoffs potentially. Still waiting on results. The last I saw, but yeah, pretty much. Regular season, he's done this. He picked it up here, and the pre-snap change in win probability was 18.5% on this play. So that's just a big one. And if it wasn't for our top play, the Matt LaFleur fourth down, that would be our biggest of the week and of the season. It took them from 39.6 to 40 – or sorry, from 58.1 from 39.6. So by going for it, they were over 50%. They converted and went up to 66 to win it almost two-thirds of the time. Unfortunately, later in the same possession, he made our worst play call of the week or our fourth down decision of the week with a minute 39 left, fourth and six at the Indy 45. Choosing to punt tied at 24, you know, you can't really flip the field that much. He gets bailed out, which we'll get to eventually, but it costs him 10.8% prior to the snap. A fourth and six might seem like a long way, but like I mentioned, um, Tennessee or Indianapolis's pass offense was only, I think, 22nd against the pass or pass defense. I'm sorry. Yeah, something like um, 20th, I believe. Yep. So, and Tannehill, you know, had a couple interceptions, but had three touchdowns. A.J. Brown had a huge game. They're without Julio Jones, but still a fourth and six isn't as low probability as you might think um, in that situation. And, you know, there's really only so much you can flip the field there. But fortunately Clearly, for They Rabel, were counting on Carson Wentz doing something stupid. Pulling a Carson Wentz. Yeah, they get possession at their own eight. Promptly gave it right back. I don't know what Wentz was doing, trying to avoid a safety. It looked like I think he had a couple guys on him right. Oh, yeah, it was like a tight end, end screen, and he couldn't get the ball to the tight end. And so, yeah, just kind of flipped it similar to uh, the, the Tua Tagovailoa play we talked about a couple weeks ago, where it was just like, a, what are you, what are you thinking? Play and intercepted right at the two yard line by Elijah Bolden uh, and taken in two, basically two steps into the end zone to give the Titans the lead. That interception, that pick six, was a our fourth most impactful play of the week at a 42.1% win probability loss for the Colts, and it gave the Titans the lead. But the Colts got another shot, and they drove down, scored, and tied it. So it is an overtime. So Titans go to another overtime game. Um, here in the game, they were down 14 to nothing early on. The Colts looked like they were in control. But going in, and Colts punted on the first possession. Titans get the ball and then get to a fourth and two at their own 36. Ends up being the fourth worst decision of the week by punting. This is one we're going to get one of those that we like to convention. You know, we know there are going to be some that are a little unconventional. We're going to get some 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 flack for, but the punt there cost them six percent prior to the snap. And you know, you think about it. If you don't get it, they're in field goal, a long field goal range. Just need you know a little bit of yardage to uh, to get make that a little bit more manageable if they don't score a touchdown. But you know, he punts it to the Indianapolis fifteen. 
gets bailed out again by Carson Wentz with our second most impactful play of the week, which was a interception on first and 10 at their own 27 by Kevin Byard. Increases the Titans' win probability by 50.2%. Again, that was our second most impactful play of the week. Ended up setting up another game-winning field goal for Randy Bullock in overtime. They get the upset despite Vrabel and his decision-making late in that game. Yep, this was another weird one. This is another game that had the quote-unquote wrong winner based on post-game win expectancy. Indianapolis had a 68% post-game win expectancy. The Titans actually had more yards per play, 5.0 to 4.3, but the Colts had a much better success rate on offense, 47% to 38%. And then remember the Titans had the benefit of an interception by Tannehill where they forced a fumble and got the ball back. That kind of thing is really rare and not predicted at all. And so that play made a huge difference in this game and made, you know, to send it to, to overtime to keep it close. So by DVOA, the Colts outplayed the Titans. And so therefore, I know this sounds crazy. The Colts are actually 10th now in DVOA. Like everything, they're doing everything right except Carson Wentz's interceptions. Yeah. And he hasn't even thrown that many interceptions over the season. He just threw them yesterday. Like, they're good on especially, I mean, they're the best run defense in the league. They've got a good running game. The pass defense isn't awful. The passing game isn't awful. So they're 10th overall in DBOA. I know it sounds crazy, but they are. And Frank Reich, too, you know, I saw it's kind of confusing with the way people, and I see Colts fans kind of viewing him as, you know, he's known as this analytically savvy guy. He, has, he went for it twice. I think it was the opening drive. They, he doesn't show up in our top five, but they had a fourth and three at the Tennessee 38. They went for it. That was a 2.6% increase win probability. I think it was the same drive. It was fourth and goal at the two. They go for it and they score. They end up, they go up seven, nothing there. They end up up 14 to nothing. And then they've got a fourth and three at the Tennessee 40 up 14 to nothing late in the first quarter. They don't get it. And, you know, people agreed with his decisions that they converted and then they don't get that one. And I see, you know, people like, you're at midfield. Why are you doing that? Why not punt the ball or kick a long field goal, whatever it is? But like, he made the right decision there. It didn't work out. So it's always confusing how, to me, how people, you know, kind of play the result. But even that fourth and three at the 40 was a, almost a 2% increase in pre-snap win probability. Might not seem like a lot, but Frank Reich is making the right decisions more often than not. And in that situation, you're either attempting a long field goal and I think Blankenship is still hurt, I believe, isn't he? I don't know who they're Yeah, they've got a backup kicker. So you got a backup. So you tr if you want to try a long field goal you and you risk missing it, you give that up, give the ball up at midfield, basically. If you punt, again, you're at the Tennessee 40. There's not much utility gain from punting there. Even if you do get it down to the one-yard line, a lot of times your win probability is still lower than what it would have been by going for it, prior, even prior to the snap, before knowing if you get it or not. It's just – it, yeah, it's, it's, it's Michael Badgley is the kicker right now. Okay, from Char uh, former Charger, right? Yes. So yeah, just interesting to be fascinating that people, you know, they, they kind of laud him, you know, when he's when they're converting them, but they don't get him, and you know, they're the first to kind of hammer like that was a terrible decision. He shouldn't have done that, but no, it was the right decision. It just didn't work out for them. So. All right, let's talk about the most impactful plays of the week, most of which we've already talked to, uh, talked about already, but there's one I do want to kind of hit a little bit in here. So let's bring up that most impactful plays of the week graphic. 
Yeah, so number five of the most impactful plays was, as you can see down there, the Cowboys we talked about from last night. It was the 15-yard uh, completion on third and 11 for, to Zeke Elliott to get the Cowboys to the five-yard line. That was a 31.1% increase. Number four we covered as well, Colts Titans tied at 24. It was the Carson Wentz interception uh, pick six from his own eight-yard line. The, the two-yard return for the, the Titans was 42.1%. Number three is a game we haven't covered yet. Kind of surprising because this going into it was the game of the week. Top two teams, the NFC South. Buccaneers were down two with 136 left, second and 10 at their own 25. We're right at 50% to win. Tom Brady's pass was intercepted, taken back for a touchdown by, I think it was P.J. Williams. Saw his teammates kind of telling him to get down on the sideline, which Scott Brown, uh, here our VP of Data Science here, we were doing our podcast earlier, kind of talked about this, but after the touchdown, the the Saints or the Bucks dropped down to a 1.2% win probability. They only had one timeout left, I think it was. Um, if they if he had gone down, you know, they could have made the Bucks use their timeout run out the clock. There may be a 0.1%, which, like I said, I mentioned earlier, you never want to give Tom Brady more than 0% chance. But there's it's really not as big of a difference as we see in some other situations. What would have been really interesting is if the Saints scored that touchdown miss the extra point, then it's only an eight-point game. And to see Brady and the Bucks drive down, get, get the two and win it overtime would have been insane. But as it, as it turns out, the Saints made the extra point, went on to win uh, in a nine-point victory. And here is your third game of the week with reversed post-game win expectancy. The Bucks would be normally expected to win this game 79% of the time. And there's a colossal difference in penalties, a lot of which aren't covered in DVOA because they're not predictive. And Tampa Bay was penalized 11 times for 99 yards, and the Saints were only penalized two times for 10 yards in this game. So DVOA looks at just the passes and runs and believes that the Bucks outplayed the Saints in this one even though the Saints got the win. That's why the Bucks actually move up to third in overall DVOA despite losing this game. Seems like that's kind of a theme, too, if I remember. I haven't looked necessarily into the penalties, but it seems like in a lot of the broadcasts you watch, they mentioned that the, the Bucks with Bruce Arians are one of the more penalized teams in the league the last few years, I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, but the Saints last year, the Saints were highly penalized and had a couple of games <laughs> they lost solely because of penalties. And this year they're not. So it goes to show you that the penalties are kind of inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All that right. game, the craziest. Sorry, what? What's it? I was going to say the kind of the craziest scene from that game, I think, was afterwards seeing Jameis Winston with a, a torn ACL uh, in a brace on crutches in the locker room, dancing with the team, um, was, was one of the funnier things and kind of crazier scenes that I saw yesterday. Uh, yeah. I mean, coming out of that game. Congrats to Trevor Simeon for winning the game, but we have to be honest that going forward, you have to expect that the Saints offense is not going to be as good as it has been. And so because of that adjustment for the backup quarterback, despite the win, we actually have the Saints playoff odds dropping 13% this week, because now going forward, we don't expect them to be as good a team as they have been so far. Yeah, not really said I imagine with, you know, as we do our power rankings too, they will We'll drop down as well here as we we utilize you know your DVOA and and adjusting for quarterbacks there you know with Winston being out for the season like you said uh, expect mm -hmm. them to drop there as well too when we get those out coming up uh, tomorrow or Wednesday too. Uh, so the second most impactful yep. play of the game 
Yeah, the top two we've talked about as well. The Colts and Titans now tied at 31 after the, the Colts touchdown. They're now in overtime, just under six minutes left in the game. Again, it's Carson Wentz's interception. Uh, Titans bring it back to the 32-yard line. That's an increase of 50.2% for the Titans, a loss of 50.2 for the Colts, obviously looking at it from the offense's perspective. And then number one was Kyler Murray's pass intercepted, 65.9% decrease in win probability, good for number one in week eight, and as I mentioned, number four on the season. All right, let's talk about the top five best play calls. Uh, Some of these we've hit already, some of them we haven't. So uh, let's talk about the top five best play calls. Number five, uh, another upset, Browns and Steelers. Yeah, this one was early in the game. Kevin Stefanski, Browns are up three to nothing. The very first play of the second quarter, First and sorry, fourth and one at the Pittsburgh 39, choosing to go for it. Increased the Browns' win probability prior to the snap by 5.3%, which is a pretty big number that early in the game um, with that good, you know, that off the awesome Browns offensive line. I don't remember if uh, um, they're drawing a blank on the name, the offensive tackle that got hurt, Jack Conklin. Conklin, um, yes. I'm not sure. I don't remember if he was out at this point, but still, they just, they've got a great offensive line. You've got Nick Chubb going for it. There's a no-brainer. Again, a long field goal uh, isn't high probability. Chase McLaughlin isn't really a great – isn't a proven NFL kicker. He's not terrible. He's not – surely not one of the best or considered to be one of the best. And then a punt doesn't really help you as much there because of, of how close you are inside the Pittsburgh 40-yard line. So, again, that was a 5.3% increase. Number four – Coming in, Bears without Matt Nagy. It was Chris was it Chris Tabor. I keep forgetting that name. Yeah, we got our picture. We even got a photo there of Chris Tabor right there. Yeah, he's up there coming in number four with a 6% increase in win probability on the fourth and one at the San Francisco 22. Bears were down seven, and this was that that Justin Fields play where he went to the right, came back to the left, went oh, upfield, came back to the middle, ran about 70 yards, it seems, on, on one play. Only counts as 22, but long run, great play to get the touchdown. I think the – the, the Bears missed the extra point, unfortunately, for them. But but that decision to go for it alone increased their win probability by 6% versus a field goal attempt there. Number three, we mentioned Cardinals, Packers, Cliff Kingsbury down 10, fourth and one at the Green Bay 40. Kind of a no-brainer with that offense to go for it early in the fourth quarter was 6.6% increase in win probability. The top two we've talked about as well, Titans-Colts tied at 24 Rabel's fourth and one at the Tennessee 50 was an 18.5% increase. And again, if not for the number one play with Matt LaFleur, that would be the number one of the week in the season. But LaFleur's fourth and goal decision to go for it from the one-yard line was worth 20.1% in win probability prior to the snap. Uh, had Green Bay converted, it would have taken them up to 97.7%, would have pretty much closed out the game. Uh, but they failed. It took them down to 64.5%. So they were still able to, to win the game. Um, or there were still favorites to win the game almost two-thirds of the time, even though they didn't convert. The Cardinals still had to go, you know, 99 yards to win. Um, and they almost 60 did. yards to tie. Yep, almost did. And then uh, that just kind of crazy play in the end zone. I want to add one other. Uh, I, I don't know if we can measure this in such a way that we can compare it to fourth down decisions, but Brian Flores of Miami did the smart thing yesterday, and he went for two down eight. After scoring to make it 17 to 9 against Buffalo, Miami went for two and made it 17-11. So that is the smart thing to do to go for two down eight. So congratulations to Brian Flores on doing that. 
Yep. And we agree with that decision as well. Obviously, like you said, it's the, the smart thing to do analytically. Um, it was about a half percent increase of pre-snap win probability. Might not seem like a lot, but most PATs uh, throughout the game are at, you know, 0.1, 0.2%. And they were so low in that game. Um, that's part of the reason, you know, they were big underdogs there. It's late in the game. Right. Uh, Go, going for two down eight is never a huge win probability shift yep. because you're down eight. Right. Um, again, don't forget to like and subscribe to the show, our channels on YouTube and Twitch. Please come comment on the live stream. If you're listening to this after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, you should be here live 1 p.m. Eastern every weekday. And that way you can actually ask us questions and comment on things live. Let's get to the five worst coaching decisions of the week. Yeah, we've got a couple in here that are going to be some head scratchers at people. One of these I'm going to have to kind of talk through. Scott Brown earlier mentioned on our podcast explained it very well. So I'll do my best to explain it as well as he did. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. First, though, is number five, Jets and Bengals in that big upset yesterday. The Jets were down three, fourth and two at the Cincinnati six. Now, they chose to kick the field goal. They tied the game. They ended up winning, but this was not the correct decision at the time by our model. We gave them 4.9% greater chance to win if they'd gone for it than, than kicking a field goal. And part of that thinking is, you know, it's fourth and two. Cincinnati is a very good defense, but it's two yards. A little bit tougher there when you're that close to the goal line at the six. But you're, the Jets are big underdogs coming this game. At this point, they were down three. They have a chance to score. There's still only about 33% chance to win this game. And this, you know, could be at this point could be the closest you're going to get to the end zone the rest of this game. You want to, you know, you don't know that you're going to score two touchdowns later in this game. You want to, you're that close. We want to try and score a touchdown and you get, especially to pull the big upset. So I said, they ended up winning the game, but, but they, you know, going for it would have been the greater, the better decision at that point in the game, not knowing how the rest of the game plays out as these coaches don't know uh, at each point of the decision. Number four is the one that's going to be a pretty big head scratcher. So Bengals were down 34-31. There's two minutes, 19 seconds left in the fourth quarter. They still have all three of their timeouts. The Jets still have all three of their timeouts. But they have fourth and 19 at their own 40. And our model likes the decision to go for it versus punting. It's a 5.4% increase in pre-snap win probability. And the reasoning there, you know, at first it kind of is like, you know, what's, what's going on here? Is this even right? But it is. And you look at it, and you punt the ball away here. The Jets are going to be in kind of conservative, probably kill clock mode. You want they want Cincinnati to use their timeouts. Um, they know they're only up three, but still, you don't want to you know make a mistake and turn the ball over, or, or you know not not make them use their timeouts. But if you go for it and don't get it, you're kind of in the same situation. Their strategy is not really going to change. Yes, you don't get any yards, and they're at your 40 yard line. That's still a long field goal if they're going to try and kick a field goal. At worst, if they do, then it's still a one-score game. You can score a touchdown. But either way, if you punt the ball away or if you go for it and don't get it, a first down essentially ends the game because you're using your timeouts. They get to they get third down and get a first down. It, you know, the game's over pretty much over regardless. So their strategy isn't going to change. So why not, like Scott said, kind of call it a free roll. You've got a chance to get the first down. And if you get 15, 16, 17 yards and don't convert, then the Jets are in their own territory and you have a better chance of getting the ball back. Turns out they didn't get the ball back ever. That's not their fault. They made a stop and there was an absolutely 
atrocious, unnecessary roughness penalty call on on Cincinnati that I don't think he was going with. Yeah, the, the Dallas game, that's one, you know, that looking there at There was one in the three, Patriots game, too. On They barely touched back Jones in the helmet. Yeah, yeah some of the, it's just completely crazy the way they're, they're calling those. The Dallas one, those three late in the game accounted oh, for a total terrible. of 17% decrease on that one drive, like six plays apart. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, this one, Cincinnati kind of got the shaft a little bit there, should have gotten that ball back, maybe would have gone down to send it to overtime and win the game. But still, going for it on that fourth down is the better decision because of the fact you may never get that ball again. So hopefully that helps explain for people. You still may not agree, but at least help, hopefully it helps see the reasoning behind it and why the model likes that decision. We do have some of these very counterintuitive uh, decisions that, that our model likes, but there, there's always, um, you know, a, an argument for it and we can always explain it in that situation. And looking at it too, you know, even if they're the worst team in the league going against the best team in the league, that's still a situation where we're going to call that a go. So that comes in at number four at 5.4%. Moving on, number three, we talked about Titans, Colts, 31-31, the fourth and two in overtime. Um, Mike Vrabel choosing to punt instead of go for it with 6% win probability error prior to the snap. And then number two is Kevin Stefanski, who we talked about showed up shocker. on the best. This is a shocker because Stefanski is usually very aggressive and ahead yes. of the curve on these decisions. I was very surprised when I saw this. You know, he ran Baker Mayfield up there doing the hard count. I'm thinking, you know, he's going to hard count, try and get him to draw him off sides, but they're still going to go. And he chose to take the delay of game. And you got to think, he mentioned, you know, he said there were a couple things that went into it. Part of it, the defense was playing so well. I think part of it was the fact that Nick Chubb got stuffed earlier. We mentioned Conklin was out of the game. But still, you're such a favorite to convert that, even against a pretty good Steelers defense. Um, you're a favorite to convert a fourth and one, especially in your midfield, almost 70% of the time. And with that Browns team, I think they're top five in rushing. If not, they were number one at one point a couple weeks ago. Yep, yep. They're, they're – uh, hold on a second. They are currently number two. Yeah, so that's just – that was just a complete head scratch for me. And, you know, you, there's kind of the argument um, Pittsburgh doesn't have a kicker. So that doesn't really affect this play for Cleveland as much. Yes, it goes into the fact, you know, we know our model knows that it's Chris Boswell kicking. We know every team's kicker. We account for that. We can't adjust for kickers mid-game. But a situation here where it's Cleveland with the ball versus Pittsburgh, you know, coming down where they had to go for it earlier, um, this situation just doesn't have that big of an effect. And as I mentioned – when we look at the opposite, the flip side, and saying, all right, is Cleveland the worst team in the league on offense and defense? Pittsburgh is the best. This decision goes from a 7.4% error to still a 4.6% error. So either way you look at it, fourth and one in midfield, third quarter, two minutes left, that's a no-brainer to go for it. And he, you know, for whatever reason, chose not to go for it. Um, and it, it, it cost him. Um, moving on to number one. Titans, again, we talked about this one. Mike Vrabel was late in the fourth quarter, the fourth and sixth of the Indy 45. There's really not much to be done by flipping the field there. You're still going to be lower win probability versus going for it, but it was a 10.8% decrease in win probability by choosing to punt there late in the game. Oh, the we ended up with a Carson Vrabel. It should have been Vrabel in that number one spot. Sorry about that. Oh, that's right. I did not catch it either. Yep. Yes, yeah, so that is Mike Vrabel, not Frank Reich. But that is our number one, is Vrabel choosing to to uh, punt on fourth and six. 
All right, you can find all of this and more over at the edgesports.com top five section, editorial section, uh, edgesports.com, edjsports.com. Let's just talk briefly about Monday Night Football, the Chiefs trying to right the ship after playing below expectations all year, the Giants trying to stay competitive despite having a lot of injuries on offense. Current line is Chiefs minus 10. Now, the Football Outsiders pick is just barely the Chiefs to cover, and the Edge Sports pick is... Yeah, we've got... We're, we're still on the Chiefs. We've got um, the Giants a little bit better to cover, though. So at um, 10 points, I think, is the last line that I saw. So yeah. for New York to cover, uh, so to lose by less than 10 or to win, it's 54.8%. For this to push or cover at 10 points or less, 57.5. So not overwhelming. Our fair value spread has this at the Chiefs minus seven, so a touchdown and an extra point. Um, like you've talked about many times, you know, on Twitter, on podcasts and streams, that, that Chiefs defense is just yeah. terrible. They're 31st have, overall, 31st against the pass. 32nd, rush. actually, now after yesterday. They are now 32nd. Okay, so I have it been adjusted, yeah. So just not a good defense. And Daniel Jones, a couple of weeks ago, he was up to about 12th or 14th in quarterbacks. I think now I look, he's down into the 20s after the last couple of games. Um with no but we, still said we, we still like the Chiefs to win at 76% straight up or 74% straight up, um, but have the Giants a little bit uh, higher to cover, at least in this one. The over-under is sitting the, – the last total that I saw was 52.5. We've got this at 55, so we like the over a little bit at 56.7%. Our most common outcome is actually 51 51 points, but we've got a lot more outcomes in the upper 50s into the low 60s than we do coming out uh, lower than 51. So a slight value there, we think, on the over at 56.7%. Um, looking at the public betting, pretty much everyone on the Chiefs, no surprise, 74% of the bets and 92% of the money that's been wagered is on Kansas City. So really no surprise on this one. I don't think, you know, this once again, I um, – Sounds kind of bad. I think the last couple of weeks I've gone against the edge model, but I, I would would be willing to, to say the Chiefs cover in this one uh, on Monday Night Football tonight. And the other thing I'll point out, the Chiefs are uh, among the places they're really bad on defense. Obviously, they're really bad in a lot of places is uh, against tight ends. So this may be uh, your Evan Ingram receiving yeah. problem might be a good one tonight. All right. Thank you to everybody who's tuned in. Thank you to everybody who's listened afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, everyone who's uh, live. Remember, we're streaming at 1 o'clock Eastern every day on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and in the little widget in the corner of Football Outsiders. Uh, please make comments throughout the show. Uh, and don't forget, as I have mentioned a couple of times in the show, FO Plus is now on sale, just $1 a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer to get you all of our stats and analysis, fantasy research data and betting information. Don't miss out a dollar a week. You can access it footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe and through the link in the description of the show. Thank you so much, Ian, for joining me to uh, go through week eight. And tomorrow, folks, 1 p.m. Eastern, Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen here will get you ready for another week of fantasy football and your waiver wire to uh, win your league. So be sure to join them tomorrow at 1. I'll be back on Wednesday with Mike Tanier and Rivers McCown. Uh, so long, everybody. Enjoy Monday Night Football tonight. 